Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for our latest episode of the Perspectives from the C-Suite Leadership Podcast. Our discussion for this podcast series focuses on leadership topics within healthcare, pharmacy practice, development of leadership skills, and more. Today, we'll visit with three accomplished hospital and health system executives that just so happen to be pharmacists. We are very fortunate to have three pharmacists in the C-suite who have had successful careers and contributed significantly to our nation's healthcare and professional associations across the country. Our conversation will focus on their professional journeys as healthcare executives within their organizations. We'll also be asking for their perspectives about the current environment and future perspectives on healthcare and how we can continue to support patient care and practice advancement. My name is David Chen, and I'll be your host for this special edition of Pharmacist in the C-Suite, Professional Journeys and Perspectives in Healthcare. Welcome, and thanks for joining us today. With us today, we have Montez Carter, President and Chief Executive Officer for Trinity Health of New England. We also have Ruth Cassidy, Senior Vice President of Clinical Support Services and Chief Pharmacy Officer for SBH Health System, and Mike Sanborn, Chief Growth Officer for Baylor Scott & White Health. Thanks for joining us today, Montez, Ruth, and Mike. And I'd like to get us started. And so to get us started, we're going to be asking you a series of topics. For the first topic, I'd like to ask each of you to share your background and career journey with an emphasis on those critical points in life that encourage you to pursue formal leadership roles in your careers. So to jump in, if I could turn things over to you, Montez, if you could share us a little bit about your professional and life journey. Thanks, David, and thanks for the opportunity to share as part of my journey. So my story begins as a clinical pharmacist. When I finished pharmacy school, I completed a residency in pharmacy practice and began to feel that lifelong dream of being a pharmacist. And interestingly enough, about three years into that journey, I had an opportunity to be presented with a chance to be a pharmacy director. And I really not necessarily thought about management or leadership, but in addition to enjoying the clinical aspects of pharmacy, I've always enjoyed being a part of teams, being a part of high producing teams and working towards achieving uncommon goals. And so I took that opportunity a few years into it, I think because of the way that medication management touches all aspects of most healthcare systems, I had a CEO that saw something in me that at the time that I did not necessarily um, see myself and asked if I had any interest in expanding some of my responsibilities to broader hospital-wide initiatives. At that time, the National Patient Safety Goals were coming out, and my first assignment was to help our healthcare system implement the National Patient Safety Goals. And so through that work and through the encouragement of the CEO at the time, I went back to school and got my MBA through an executive MBA program and had my role expanded to then include other aspects of hospital operations with some of the support service departments, as well as performance improvement and accreditation services. I am stayed with my initial organization for a total of about 11 years and then transitioned to another organization where I came in and assumed the role as vice president of hospital operations for our flagship facility had an opportunity to have responsibility for a lot of the clinical ancillary departments, inclusive of pharmacy, but some of the others like lab and imaging and rehab services. And as my career progressed within that region, 
took on opportunities as they presented themselves to first become the hospital president of one of our smaller hospitals within our region, had a chance to build a replacement facility there, and then take on responsibility at one of the larger hospitals in our region, and then ultimately within that organization, become a regional CEO and perform that function for about five years. And then about a year ago, had an opportunity with the same parent company, Trinity Health, to come to New England and to continue in a regional CEO role in one of our larger regions. So one of the things that I say, particularly when I'm talking to groups about my career progression, is I had an opportunity to be at the bedside, to be a departmental director, to be a support services leader, and then to lead a building in terms of a hospital, and now try to take all of those experiences today as I lead a region to kind of understand where everyone's coming from in terms of playing the very important functions that they fulfill for our health ministry. Thank you so much for sharing, Montez. Can we move now to you, Ruth? Good afternoon, and thank you for having me. For me, early in my career, when I was first registered and licensed, I actually had my foot in both worlds. So I had the opportunity of opening three establishments in New York. They were retail or community-based organizations, and I also worked in a hospital. I think that starting in retail was really my decision to become an administrator in pharmacy practice. I had the stores for about 10 years. I was also working in the hospital as just a staff pharmacist. I decided at that point to go back to get my doctorate in pharmacy. I then sold the pharmacies, took on a full-time position in hospital pharmacy and worked to obtain the doctorate at that time. Once it was achieved, I started to move then into more advanced roles with the full intent. I knew I wanted to be an administrator in healthcare and in hospital practice. And so that was the goal that I pursued. So over the years, I would say I pretty much held almost every role in hospital practice. I started out as operational managers. I was then clinical managers. I worked up to associate director and director of pharmacy, regional director of pharmacy. I then moved Knowing that I wanted to go farther into administration, I moved into an organization that allowed me to advance my skill set, working with some non-clinical departments and clinical departments. I stayed there for a number of years and then moved again into my most recent position, or at least my most recent hospital. I started here as an AVP of pharmacy and then became VP of clinical support services, taking on many roles outside of pharmacy, so radiology, food, nutrition. I actually had all of the department of medicine, all of the department of surgery at one point, also lab and outpatient wound care, cardiology, almost every role, as I said. There is one point that I want to make being one of the women, a few women that do make it into a leadership, a high leadership role is I have six children, so there's not a lot of women that can say that they have a successful career. And a lot of women will debate whether they can actually have a successful career and also have a successful family and be a good parent and a great mother and a great spouse. And I want to affirm to those individuals or women that are out there that, yes, you can absolutely have both and you can be successful in both areas. Thanks, Ruth. Especially for the last comment, as we know, there's many aspiring women leaders in our profession having role models are so critical. So thank you for that. And Mike, can we turn to you? You bet. Thank you, David. So like Montez, my goal from the very beginning was to be a clinical pharmacist. I was very excited to practice pharmacy. And my first job was at a large 
County Hospital that was also an academic medical center in Dallas and happened to land on the cardiovascular area, serving as a pharmacist, rounding every day, just really an awesome opportunity and really what I had had in mind from the very beginning of starting pharmacy school. And one day, about a year in, my boss quit. She left to go to another facility and moved out of state. And her boss, the assistant director, asked me if I'd be interested in taking that role. And I thought, you know, there's no way. I I love my job. I don't want anything to do with that management stuff. That's just making schedules and covering empty shifts. And he was persistent and ultimately talked me into taking that supervisory role over 23, I think it was at the time, clinical pharmacist. And I learned it was a lot more than just what I thought it had been and really enjoyed the leadership aspect of things. And so one day we were having a conversation, the assistant director and I, and I said, you know, what do I need to do to get your job someday? And he laughed and he said, you know, you need to ideally go back and do an administrative residency to your program. And he reeled off a few of the programs that he knew of. And so I went back, got my master's in pharmacy administration and also did a two-year residency. And that served me exceptionally well. I stayed on as an assistant director at KU Med Center for a number of years. But then my dream was to become a pharmacy director. And that opportunity came at a two-hospital system in Florida, where I was the system director there at the time. And I think like you heard from both Montez and Ruth, that's when things started to get a little bit more diversified as far as the opportunities that were coming my way. The cath lab director at one time had left and they asked me to be over the cath lab. I didn't know anything about running a cath lab, but had the leadership experience and realized that a lot of the same things apply. And then our supply chain person left, the leader in that area. And again, I was asked to take on that responsibility, which I did and learned a lot about, you know, I'd already learned a lot and knew a lot about purchasing pharmaceuticals and other things like that. But this was everything else in the hospital, including large capital projects and expenditures and things like that. So it gave me a lot of experience. For Then I was recruited into industry for five years and did that and covered the entire, I had a large, large region, about 400 employees and covered all of the US, Canada and Puerto Rico and traveled a lot. And that's ultimately what landed me back in 2003 at the Baylor Healthcare System. At the time, it was 14 hospitals and I was approached to serve as the first chief pharmacy officer role that they had had across all 14 hospitals. And so decided that getting off the road with two smaller children was a great idea and have been there ever since. I've had a number of different responsibilities. I've managed enterprise-wise our laboratory, our radiology departments, several clinical departments, and was asked to serve as a hospital president. Kind of surprising. We had a turnover of a leader at a 250-bed community hospital that was part of one of the ones that we had and served in that capacity for about five years and just really enjoyed it. And then an opportunity at one of our larger centers came up, a 530-bed hospital, and decided I wanted to take that opportunity and serve there for seven years. Had an opportunity to literally create a university teaching hospital with a partnership with the TCU School of Medicine and started a residency program that now has over 100 medical residents. We already had a very strong pharmacy residency program there. So that was a lot of fun. And then more recently in January of this year was asked to serve as the chief growth officer for our entire system. 
which has now grown to 54 hospitals and lots and lots of other ambulatory surgery centers and joint ventures with radiology and all kinds of other things. And so my current responsibility is really just deciding where we grow, how we grow, how much money we spend to do that and those types of things. So prioritizing really all of the things that we have to do to continue to serve patients in the state of Texas. And so it's really been, I think, a great opportunity. I think a lot of unanticipated opportunities have come my way, like both Ruth and Montez. And I think the one thing I would add is that I still firmly believe that serving as a pharmacy director or chief pharmacy officer prepares you very, very well to be a chief executive officer of a health system or a hospital. And, you know, you've got the clinical aspect, which many, many hospital administrators do not have as a pharmacist, but you also have the HR, the purchasing, complex budgets, all the things that you really need. So I think serving as a pharmacy director, chief pharmacy officer really prepares you well if you're interested in advancing to a CEO someday. Thanks a lot, Mike. And for as much as I have the opportunity to talk with all of you, just to hear just the different pathways you've each taken was super interesting. And Mike, your last comment, I think, you know, tees up a comment I wanted to include today. And thank you, first of all, for being part of the ASHP Pharmacists and C-Suites Advisory Panel and Mike being a co-chair as ASHP looks to provide more for all of you that are pharmacists that have reached the C-suite and those pharmacists that are vice presidents and chief pharmacy officers, plus other service lines. I think, you know, as you both know, you know, two of the charges of that group is really how do we create community among pharmacists that have reached the levels that you all reached? And then also how do we provide the mentoring and the role models for those that might be interested in aspiring for different roles within health systems? So with that, you know, thank you so much for sharing your journeys for what got you to where you are today. I'd like to now move to some questions that are a little bit more specific that we've put together about your leadership experience. I mean, you all bring a wealth of knowledge, different parts of the country, and as noted, slightly different journeys along the way to get you to where you're at. You know, Ruth, I'd like to start with you, especially, you know, as you shared a little bit of an atypical path, I guess, with your years of experience in retail community pharmacy as you made your journey into health systems, and then subsequently your progression through pharmacy and then your progression through outside of pharmacy leadership roles. I can only imagine that you've had work with lots of teams and influence culture. Could you share a little bit from your perspective on how you've been successful in developing your teams and organizational culture, and then as well as expand a little bit on how you've established yourself and achieving influence as you've made those changes that you just described? Well, I guess let me start by saying that leadership involves becoming very interdependent. And what I mean by that is that as a leader, I know what my talents and my skill set are, but I also remain acutely aware that I can't do anything without the collaboration of my employees. So I really look at myself as a facilitator of all the great work that my staff perform. If we talk about organizational culture, I said I would think the organizational culture I choose to build within the organizations I work is one that's one friendly two, safe, and three, a real diverse environment that focuses on customer satisfaction. So I want my staff to be diverse so that we can bring as much variation of knowledge to my department initiatives as possible. I want my staff to feel safe, to bring their greatest minds 
to each of the initiatives and the vision that I put in front of them. And then I also want my customers, which can be either my employees, any department stakeholders or corporate stakeholders, as well as my patients, to be sufficiently satisfied with every project and initiative once they're completed. So when I develop the culture, I look at three key components. One, obviously the customer's needs, right? So it's my job to set the vision for my staff for the goal and why we're going to achieve that goal. But I think it's important that I also give positive messages of success. I also lay out a very clear plan for achievement. I really want every member of my team to have that similar customer-focused mindset on any task or initiative that they should begin. And I always say, you know, look at the end goal and always keep that in mind of what we're looking to achieve. So this key component about customer needs and desires really requires listening to all your customers. And it's a active listening that with the task or initiative that they begin with an understanding that it's the customer needs that we're working to meet. That's one. I think the second focus is developing my staff through mutual trust and mutual respect. So I want to get to know the individuals that I work with, and I always look to help to create them as leaders. So when I begin in any hospital or a department, what I'll usually do is I sit down. If it's a department, I'll sit down with almost every member of that department. If it's a higher, when it was a higher level position, it was more sitting down with the leaders of those departments. And I would go through three important things. One, I always wanted to talk about who they were. So to create some sort of a personal connection to start to begin to get to know who they were. Then I would ask what was working within that department or that area of the organization, what they thought worked well and what they thought did not work so well and could use some improvement. And then I always asked and still always ask, are there any tools that you really need to get your job done that you don't have to make it successful? So my focus is really to build mutual respect, to gain their confidence so that every one of my staff know how important one they are to me and how important they are to achieving those goals that we set forward. Also giving them the freedom to either make decisions themselves or at least bring forward ideas that the team can use that keeping in mind the goals and mission of the entire initiative. The third focus for this culture is accountability. I think accountability is the main element of any high performance initiative. So I'm a mover and a shaker. I love to build different goals. I love to build new initiatives and make them successful. I set goals all the time myself and I achieve all of my goals. And so it's important for me to make sure I put my staff in a position that they're also going to achieve their goals. I always try to be I would say conscious of my influence on them. So accountability starts with me, right? I want them to know that whatever goal that we're achieving, I have skin in the game too. And I'm equally impacted and feel bad if we don't achieve what we wanted to achieve when we wanted to achieve it. And I'm also thrilled and, and can reflect on all the successes. I think accountability belongs to everyone on the team. So there can't be any finger pointing. There shouldn't be any backstabbing. You shouldn't be saying, well, it was that guy who did it. I really want everyone to work as a team and I'm part of that team. So there should be a focus on 
working on the solutions if there's problems that come up and just achieving the goal. And then I have a huge focus on trying to remain as positive as possible. Like I said, I really want that friendly, safe environment. I think you're always going to have your low performers and you'll have to weed them out. So there's always reviews that you're going to go through, making sure that everyone knows what their individual component that they were bringing to a project. But for the most part, I think it's really important to focus on the successes and make sure that you celebrate people and everything that they do. So for me, I think to achieve my greatest influence was really through a customer-based focus, developing my staff and holding the whole team accountable to one mission, one goal. Thank you, Ruth, so much for that response around organizational culture. And I'd like to move to and how you set tone for that culture and your skin in the game. I like that. I think that's always important to hear from the leadership level. I'd like to move to you, Montez, have a question that's more about organizational, the operational side of integration across large organizations with different sites of care. And it struck me, too, as you did your introduction about every seat that you sat at at each table from bedside to clinical leadership to pharmacy administration, now to hospital administration. And it'll be interesting to hear how all that plays into affecting your answer to this question. You know, because you work in an organization that has diverse patient care settings, as you mentioned, it's in the region of New England and many locations. And so I can only imagine that this results in many different roles and responsibilities that you have to influence and are influenced by that are based on the different needs of the different sites of care, both hospitals and non-hospital sites of care. Can you share a little bit about how you seek to integrate these sites of care and what you feel have been necessary skills to be the most effective leader when you look at a very large, complex organization with different sites of care and different cultures, maybe, at the different sites of care? Yeah, David, you know, I think that's a really good question. And as you think about integrated health systems and the sites of care of a clinic or ambulatory location versus a hospital or acute care location versus post-acute care, whether it's home care or now hospital at home, maybe integrated mobile health care, skilled nursing. There's certain foundational expectations of patients in any of those settings. They want safe care. They want quality care. They want good service. They want access to those services. But as we really seek to be that trusted health partner to make sure that we're given the right care at the right time in the right location, that is of lowest cost, which is part of the expectation of our patients. It really helps us think about kind of that culture of how do we deal with the natural tension that maybe exists in terms of care coordination so that we can listen to our patients, we can be their partner, we can make it easy for them. And at the same time, build kind of that culture that Ruth alluded to around how we're able to do that. And so I think that from a leadership perspective, Some of you may have heard, I'm sure, of people, process, technology, and culture being four key elements in terms of how we think about building out our systems. And I think that that's very important, particularly for integrated health system, so that from a patient's perspective, we are all committed to those principal elements and that we're making sure that when they have healthcare needs, that we're addressing those needs or we're giving that warm handoff to the right partner or teammate that can help them meet their needs. And so it requires a different mindset for us. Many times, particularly in the hospital world, I've been doing this for a while now, we've built a lot of processes around ourselves 
and how we want patients to come to us and how we want patients to be managed. But now we are in a world and a time with traditional as well as non-traditional competitors that have kind of flipped it on its ear. And really it's about what the patient wants and how can we now think differently of building systems in an integrated way around that patient so that the patient is at the center of what we do in terms of how we coordinate that care, how we give that care and how accessible we are to them. And so I think that now for our leadership team, particularly in healthcare systems, it's to get out of some of the traditional acute care mindset for us to be open to thinking about care models that are different, how we can incorporate technology to help us evolve in those care models. It causes us to think differently about where care is being delivered. So it's not about how many widgets that we're producing anymore, how many you know, doses we're dispensing, how many MRIs that we're doing, but it's really about how are we managing the population in terms of their care to deliver quality care at a lower cost. And so that's the shift in mindset and really from a leader, you know, how we do that from a change management perspective, how do we not lose sight of that safety, quality, service, you know, and access that are foundational to what we do, but at the same time have as part of our brand and our identity of delivering patient-centered care. And so all of those now are vitally important for us as an integrated health system if we really want to be that trusted health partner that we aspire to be. Great. Thank you so much, Montez. I think you mentioned a couple of things I'd like to carry over into the next question. I'd like to ask of Mike, the whole patient-centeredness, the competitive environment that's really shifted in the last five years, I think probably you could say quite significantly. And Mike, you know, just as we tee up this next question for you and knowing that you've been a long-term leader with ASHP, past ASHP board member, and worked with leaders across the nation, What advice do you have for other pharmacists that might be considering pursuing a hospital and health system executive role that includes other service lines with pharmacy or outside or above pharmacy? It was interesting to hear because I guess you were probably one of the early pharmacists with the plus other service lines, as you shared, that you picked up cath lab and supply chain a number of years back. But I think for our listeners would be interested to hear what your thoughts are about taking that next step. Thank you, David. So I think it's a few things to kind of keep in mind. One, something that's been very, very critical to my success over the years is having great mentors. And I think we all have them, but I have pharmacist mentors that I've used to help me make a lot of my career decisions over the years, both inside of pharmacy and outside of pharmacy. And these are just people that I can call pretty much any time and really kind of talk through the pros and cons. And I think developing a small handful of people that can serve in that capacity for you from a career advice perspective is very, very important and really can help with some of the more difficult decisions that you may have to make from a career perspective. So that is something for me that was very, very helpful along the way. And now I have mentors both inside and outside of pharmacy, and I rely on them a lot. The ones now outside of pharmacy more as it relates to some of the broader responsibilities that I have. So that mentorship really never goes away. I think the other key element for me, and I think you've heard it from others, is not being 
afraid to do something that's outside your traditional comfort zone. As pharmacists, a lot of times we view pharmacy in a particular way. The world of pharmacy is very well defined. It gets broader and broader all the time, but it's generally pretty circumscript. And I still remember the first time when I was asked to do the cath lab role, I thought, you know, I don't know anything about that. Why are you asking me to do that? And it was really a situation that wasn't when I was asked something that I initially felt positive about that I really didn't think, you know, I really don't want to do this. But my supervisor at the time, VP, she was basically the chief operating officer of the hospital, said, Mike, we need your leadership capabilities there. We're probably going to have this position open for at least six to eight to maybe 10 months. We'll recruit for it, but we really need you to help us improve the department. And I thought, you know, when you put it that way, it doesn't seem too different from the work that I've been doing in pharmacy. And I think that's what made it fun. And it was shocking to be how much I learned in that role about cath lab, very different interactions with cardiologists, and many of which I already knew as a pharmacist, but just very different responsibilities, a lot more direct clinical care that I was supervising. And it was just a great opportunity. And I think I've learned that as I've accepted all kinds of other roles outside of pharmacy, many of which were temporary. I kind of became the go-to interim leader. <laughs> and that's not a bad thing because I think that's a way that people above me were recognizing my leadership capabilities in retrospect. And I didn't say yes to everything, but I said yes to a lot of things if I had the bandwidth. And I think that's two things. One, Supervising another department is incredibly educational as it relates to what you'll learn. You'll interact with new people, new leaders in the organization. You'll make connections that you otherwise wouldn't have made both inside and outside of the organization. And those can become invaluable. I think the other thing is when you accept some of those roles, People see you in a different light. They see you as someone that can do more than just pharmacy. Not that that's bad. You can run the most amazing pharmacy department. And many people have done that across the country and really made incredible leaps and bounds related to pharmacy practice. And that's very important. But if you do aspire to do something outside of pharmacy, then I think that recognition that you get from others where it's like, hey, Mike can do a lot of things. He's able to really lead a lot of different parts of the organization. It can be very valuable. And last, I alluded to, you know, I didn't accept every responsibility. I think that's important too. You've got to have the bandwidth. You've got to have the interest. You've got to have the same level of commitment to take on one of those types of roles as you would. And you've got to be just as passionate about it as you would for pharmacy because those employees need a strong leader. A lot of times those departments might need some direction that they didn't otherwise have. Some of the tenets that Ruth talked about around getting to know people and accountability and all those things are very, very important to apply outside of pharmacy in any department or across a hospital, just like they are inside just for pharmacy practice or for large pharmacy organization. And so I think those are probably some things that if you have interest in doing something beyond pharmacy practice, that those might be some things that you can look into to potentially expand into those newer roles. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for those comments. So we're going to wrap up with a question. And I'd like to ask to go in order with Mike, if you could respond first, and then Montez and Ruth. 
And as I've listened to you, you said so many pearls, but for this question, I'd sort of call out the goal setting comments from Ruth and Montez, sort of paying attention to the environment and patient needs. And then Mike, your comment about mentoring. I think this is now an opportunity for you guys to uh, sort of mentor by podcast. So here's my question to you is that I'd like to ask each of you to answer, what is your leadership imperative for hospital and healthcare executives to be successful in today's environment? Just a small question, trying to maybe keep it to your top banner thought there, but maybe then go into a little bit about what does your priority list look like and why? Mike, if I could ask you to kick us off. You bet. So Montez talked about the concept of patient centricity. And I think for me, that's the imperative. Healthcare historically has not been very patient centric. We've always cared about the patients and wanted to serve them, but I don't think we've been really trying to look at things from their perspective. And so we're doing a lot of work in my organization around the patient journey and looking at simple things like okay, I've found out that I need this particular type of care. Say I have a new cancer diagnosis. What do I do next? How do patients answer that simple question? Like what is next? Sometimes their physician might tell them, sometimes not. And sometimes they just get a test result back and have to figure out what they do next. And so the journey starts typically with something like that. But then simple things like scheduling, understanding and learning about what it is that you're going to be facing, meeting with the caregivers that are going to be taking care of you and understanding what your plan is, what your care plan is, all those things. Even things at the back end around billing and understanding. There's a lot going on right now about open financial records and patients having a bill that they can understand. As healthcare providers, we've never really provided many of those things to really truly be patient-centric. So we're spending a lot of time in our organization really focused on those things and trying to help make things better. Another huge challenge that we have in the state of Texas, I think we're number 49 in the country for primary care availability, is a huge challenge we're trying to address is access. Because that's another frustrating thing for patients when they need to see a provider and the first available appointment is three weeks out or even three months out, depending on the specialty and the type of care that a patient might need. To me, I think that customer-centric piece is the most important thing. And so most of our goals around that are organizationally or centered on that. Personally, for me, I think the other challenge that I have to deal with is we're in a state that is expanding dramatically. We're the largest healthcare provider in the state of Texas by far. And it's really about with limited resources, which every health system has, how do we effectively allocate those resources to do the things that I just talked about in a patient-centric way, whether that be another bed tower at a hospital that has 50 ED holds every day or a new urgent care center in an area that is underserved or whatever it may be, because I always remind people spending money on one thing typically means you're not spending money on 20 other things. And so there's a lot of prioritization for me that goes into a lot of those decisions as to how we grow and where we grow and when we grow. I think all those things are very important. Great. Thanks, Mike. To paraphrase for a listener to make sure that if they're going to have influence, they need to make sure they have a voice and that they're they're at the table on all conversations around patient journey centricity, access improvement, and the resource allocation and management are your priorities. 
So if I could then move to Montez for your thoughts. Thanks, David. I love this question. My advice for the leaders is that write this down if you don't have your leadership priorities and share it with your teams. Your teams ought to understand and appreciate what you believe around leadership. So this is a very easy one for me to answer because my team hears it all the time. First of all, I think leaders have to be great communicators and they have to communicate with clarity. Any organization, mission, vision, values, and also strategic imperatives, you know, really needs to be communicated in a very clear and concise way in a way for everyone within your team to kind of understand what their roles and responsibilities are and so that they can be empowered to be able to act appropriately as it relates to their job function and what they're doing within the organization. So I think communication is key. I believe that it's imperative to be a great coach. With all of the changes that are going on in healthcare, we're really building the bridge as we're crossing the river. There's not a playbook that's out there today to say, how do we deal with all of the changes that we have? as quickly as they're coming to us. And so as coaches of our teams, we have to be able to identify not just how we map out our strategies and our plans and our priorities, but also to have a sense of our teams and understand who are the right people in the right place, performing the right functions, because it's not us as leaders who, as you've heard, perform the work, but it's through working with our teams that is being performed. So being a great coach, conflict is inevitable with all of these changing times. So having the ability to manage conflict is critical right now as a conflict manager, as a leader, because it's not going away. And then as we're thinking about, you know, what are the things that in the midst of all the uncertainty that we can be certain of is that change is going to continue to happen. And so as we're thinking about solutions, we've got to really think not just that nibbling at the edges of what is today, but how we can think transformatively and how we can make sure the innovation stays and maintains a seat at the table as leaders is, I think, really key for us to drive it for our teams, create an environment where our teams can fail fast and then move on to figure out what does work. Because one thing that I think is true is that inaction becomes an action in itself. And so as leaders, in the midst of all of the changes, we have to ensure that we're being thoughtful and considerate, but also having a sense of urgency to respond to what are a lot of pressures that we as an industry are facing today. I like that, Montez. It's like the four C's, right? Communication, coaching, conflict management, and change agent almost a little report card that we all need to step back and assess ourselves by periodically. So thank you for that. And Ruth, if we could turn to you now. So for me, I think, you know, probably touched on what we seem to be saying a lot of the same things, but I would think that there's a new awareness model and Montez did touch upon this. It has to be the right care at the right time, at the right place and at the right cost. So that's the awareness model. I think And there's a lot of operational components that go into that and certainly a lot of objectives that come into play. But if I had to pick a priority list, I would say flexibility, because as Montez said, change is inevitable and the technology needed to assist. So why? Why that list? Well, I think the pandemic certainly taught us a lot about our ability to pivot and our need to pivot when necessary. I also believe that there was a major shift in mindset for both employees and patients. Work-life balance became high on everyone's priority, and employees and patients became much smarter consumers. Patients about their healthcare and employees about their lives. And I think there's two goals that have to come into play for healthcare executives. One, employers 
need to be conscious of employees' workload and their resilience and burnout of their staff. They need to meet their staff's needs and they have to look at flexible work schedules. They have to look at things in a new light. I think the pandemic showed us that they certainly have to look at people's work-life balance or maybe change in hours or things to help them meet both the needs of their family and the needs at work. And for patients, I think healthcare systems need to look at where healthcare is given. They need to expand into the ambulatory networks and they need to really work on their efficiencies because people want great healthcare. They want it at low cost and they want it fast. So leveraging technology to achieve that flexibility and efficiencies for all customers, I think will certainly help drive that flexibility. And then I think a conscious investment in the development of our caregivers is critical. We have to be able to continue to teach, coach our caregivers so that we can meet that customer satisfaction that we're talking about to build that culture of customer satisfaction, patient-centered focus that we all look to achieve. Oh, great. Thank you for that, Ruth. I like how your earlier list of R's, you know, we all as clinicians know the, the R's for patient safety, but I think there's a different set of R's when you become an executive and you're responsible for a healthcare enterprise. So thank you very much. And thank you, all three of you, for a great conversation today. That is all the time we have today. And I want to thank Montez Carter, Ruth Cassidy, and Mike Sanborn for a wonderful conversation and joining us today and sharing their pearls of wisdom on their journey to success. Thank you for your leadership, your service, and role modeling you've provided for our profession. And in addition, thank you for providing your perspectives on areas of priority and leading our nation's hospitals and health systems. And for our listeners today, for more exclusive content, including resources for self-development, leading pharmacy enterprises and teams and practice management on the ASHP website can be found. And thank you for all joining us for this podcast again. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to ASHP Official Podcast. And at this time, we're going to conclude our podcast. And again, thank you, Montez, Ruth, and Mike. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.